Hello and welcome to Meet Our Makers, an artist interview podcast produced in association with Beats Per Minute. I'm your host, Jeremy J. Fizet. On this episode, we get to meet Emily Haynes. Emily is probably best known as the lead singer, lyricist, frontwoman of Canadian indie rock band Metric. In this chat, Emily and I discuss a wide range of things. It is a rather discursive chat, though in a fun way, I think. We do touch quite a bit on the new Metric record, their eighth album, Formentera, out July 8th. But we also dig into the archives a bit. We talk about the band's beginning, their sort of lost debut album, Grow Up and Blow Away, which came out way after it was made as well as various other things like the ethos behind Metric and our sick addiction and love-hate relationship with the constant, constant news cycle that we find ourselves spiraling in. I will admit, I was a little starstruck to speak with Emily, and I basically let her know that. I am a major Metric fan, and I have been for years, so it was a great gift to be able to chat with her for an hour, and I'm very grateful. So, please enjoy... This is me meeting Metrics Emily Haynes. Hey. How are you doing? How's the audio? I, I'm so embarrassed. I dropped my um, earbuds in olive oil. <laughs> <laughs> it was a particularly attractive jar of um, antipasto. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> so I apologize. I hope, is the audio okay? I'm in a quiet spot. Everything's airtight. I think so. Can oh, you hear me okay? Sound great. I can turn you down as well because I know it's the bleed, right? Yeah, although I don't think I hear it right now. Good. Okay. You so sound- I think we're okay. Okay. Awesome. Sorry about that. No, no worries. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I, honestly, though, it was kind of worth it. It was a delicious <laughs> moment. I paid the price. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, so how how are you besides your olive oil mishap? <laughs> uh, things are really great. I mean, it's funny, you know, in the context of our conversation is I've been having all these chats with um, Samantha and Carla at Saks and all, you know, this whole team that we have of amazing people that we've worked with for years and really trying to convey to everybody, like, in terms of putting this record out and participating in culture um, that I really wanted to do stuff where I could talk about what's happening in the world and how our music is part of the world, as opposed to what I think is a flawed approach in music journalism. A lot of times where it's just kind of just focused only on the person and the thing um, and kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, and certainly we're all like, you know, fed this like celebrity culture kind of, approach to why we should care about something um so i'm just really into the idea of having these conversations that are about other things and you know that contextualize why we make music why it might be useful to someone and so i'm just having a great time because so far with the rollout i'm getting to have you know cool conversations like this like it's happening it's great yeah and i mean metric is no stranger to using music to comment on the world around us so I mean that's it's kind of nice maybe that the the moment around you guys has sort of risen to meet you there yeah it's it's an interesting way of framing it we were saying that too about like the idea of you know to the whatever extent we've had mainstream success it's been sort of a similar feeling like you know we kind of stubbornly do what we do and it feels like in 
key moments, the mainstream has come to meet us there as opposed to us having to like morph. Um, and I find, I do find the same thing with sort of the level of discourse right now. Like it used to be that I felt in conventional interviews when I would bring up, you know, the political climate or like socioeconomic themes or environmental themes or considerations. It was kind of like full body eye roll from everyone. <laughs> You know, and now I just noticed that there's something, I think I know what it is that happened uh, that has sort of made it that there's no longer a barrier to, you know, fluidly going between personal considerations, personal creative topics and the fact that we are all, you know, connected um, and there are, you know, are ultimately our significance is minimal in the scheme of things. So yeah, I do feel like there's one, one good outcome that might be the only. <laughs> yeah. It, it is strange because, you know, musicians, artists, actors, they always get told like, Oh, you know, get out of politics, just stick to what you do as if they're not also affected by all these things. And so I feel like it makes total sense that now maybe more than ever, artists feel maybe more free and more emboldened to speak on these things and to not just act like, you know, this, this sort of maker for hire and that's all you do. Yeah. And it perhaps like dilutes some of the narcissism, you know, that's like a hazard, an occupational hazard of anything, I think, performative, like that that's true. Like if you're siloed, that it's like, don't delve in on any topic that could ever possibly be about anything then mm -hmm. it's going to be eyelashes and um, dating gossip, right? So I, I think that's true. And we certainly do see like more people feeling emboldened. Um, but, you know, almost to the point where sometimes it's, it can go so far the other way, where it's like, look, I'm not going to feel pressure to like speak on, you know, sometimes it's just like lightning rod issue. Like, the, yeah. the, you know, how we got here, we're like, everyone's convinced that their opinion is like so important. I'm like, I just don't feel that way. I feel like I observe a lot of things and there's so many things where it's like, why would, why on earth would anyone need to know my comments on this? But I think I might be alone in that <laughs> comment heavy moment we're in. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. We are going here already because um, today's a weird day. Um, I don't know how plugged in you've been to the news today. For once, okay, this is, this is, okay. <laughs> so, you know, we have this song, Doom Scroller, right? Right. Opening our album, 10 minutes, you know, this is yeah, not. We'll definitely, we're definitely going to get into Doom Scroller. <laughs> I apologize for, you know, shaking up your sequence here. But oh, no. In the context of what you just asked me and in the context of what you're about to tell me is that I, I really do think that it's like an ailment, certainly for me, like I, it was like, I am unwell. I cannot stop. I mean, it's literally the lyrics of the song that I'm about to like say to you, you know, but until it's over and it's never over. Um, and so part of the whole theme around Formatera is this idea of like, you had, there has to be some threshold where like your nervous system has some play in how far you're going to go into despair and um, anxiety on the state of things that you absolutely cannot control and the sort of powerless horror of like knowing everything and, and having so little you can do. Whereas before maybe we needed to raise awareness, but now it's like, Oh, our awareness is raised, but in so many cases you're totally powerless. So yeah. today 
you know, I started, I've been trying to do this thing because I love running where instead of starting my day, like with a doom scroll, you know, spanning somewhere between 10 and minutes and 10 hours, um, I'm just trying to be like, you know, don't schedule the run later. The run is first. So, mm. you know, forward to our conversation, went for a run, did not read the news. And with that caveat, could you <laughs> please tell me what I don't know? I'm almost nervous to tell you now. <laughs> While I'm sitting down, just tell me. Um, Roe v. Wade was overturned. I see. Which isn't necessarily a shock, but is a big, big news. That is a significant development, isn't it? Yes, yes, and it's hot off the press. I saw it like an hour ago. It's, it's, you know, my on the topic of the nervous system, right? It's like I'm primed, like my fight or flight. Like I can feel the chemicals coursing through my body when you told me something happened. It's yeah. like, it's like on January sixth when I'm like texting with my friend and she's like, and they're firing shots in the Capitol. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, your whole body is like vibrating because um, the scope is so broad of the implications of so many of these things. You know, yeah. you me, it's another shooting. Um, you could have told me it's something related to that, to the, you know, inquiry that's ongoing of the, about the election. And Instead, it is this massive um, change in what it is to be a woman in 2022. That's that's intense. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, the question I specifically wrote in my notes was, how are things in Canada on June 24th, 2022? <laughs> because things over here, they're looking pretty bleak these days. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a, it's a broad question, certainly, but like, I, I think we should probably move away from the specifics of that yeah. type of legislation. Um, know that those rights are protected here. And I don't think there's any sign of that changing. Um, but, but it does feel like the sort of, you know, that idea of trying to be like a lightning rod where you have some perception of how things are, you know, in big air quotes, like, I'm really wary of big blanket statements. I think it's why we get into trouble is people are like oh, so zeitgeisty, you know, it's like, there's For just sure, so, yeah. right? like so many ways to perceive how things are quote unquote. Um, I do feel like in this country, there's a, as it seems in the whole world, like this sense of things becoming so polarized um, becoming is an understatement, I suppose. Um, and you know, while we don't have the same, ex if the extremes haven't gone as extreme, I feel like the same like political um, posturing and lack of nuance and positioning is um, is in play. Um, but, you know, like socially in terms of like mood, I mean, I just had a great day yesterday in the city. I mean, I love Toronto. It's such a such a great city. And, you know, we did the, the big national um broadcast in the morning breakfast television and like Jimmy and I up on a rooftop um in like Toronto's Times Square kind of thing playing uh mm -hmm. all comes and then just had like a cool day like got in my car and the song's playing on the radio and like you know go to a couple coffee shops and people are like yay I'm coming to the show you know in August and 
certainly like the streets, everyone just is so happy to be out. The lockdowns here were so intense, I think exacerbated by weather, obviously. Um, and so the spirit is very like can do, you know, um, mm-hmm. but, but there is a sense of, I think, fraying for sure. Um, everywhere. Yeah. We're in a, we're in a, 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 a weird delicate moment we're in a moment well and it's funny with all comes crashing it's like you know we didn't we didn't intend for it to uh you know refer to the roaring 20s the other roaring 20s we know and how those roaring 20s ended uh so it's so much talk about that with the stock market and everything and we're like when it all comes crashing like (laughs) i totally worked on lyrically i really grappled with I mean, I love this about writing, like how, and you know, this obviously, but like one word makes such a difference. Like, is it let it all come crashing? Is it if it all comes crashing? And it was like, nope, it's when <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> not if, but when, um, and also the question of when it starts crashing, when will it stop crashing? <laughs> oh, the follow-up. Thank you. That's great. Mm. I've been on a similar well, on the lyrical front, just like being a dork for a minute about language. Um, Cause there's a track on the record called False Dichotomy, which is just, I'm so excited for it to come out because I get to talk to everyone about, do they know what one is and do they have an example of one and have fun conversations? Um, actually, do you, yeah, do you know what a false dichotomy is? You know what a false dichotomy is. I mean, yeah, I think I'd be hard pressed to give you like a really good example though. And I feel like you must have one. <laughs> Well, this is what's so funny is like, it's so slippery because it's very specific. It's like, you know, it's two things being presented as mutually exclusive when they are not. Right, right. right. So I've been working with this video director, artist, photographer, this guy, Justin Broadbent. We do everything together and we're like, have the weird psychic mind meld. So one of the things that's going to be a piece in this video we just shot is like, he's doing these like visual vignettes of objects that are a false dichotomy. Um, so the one that I loved, cause it's kind of looking at the question of, you know, the whole idea of like a woman saying, I want it all and what that means and that you're not necessarily like, you know, a capitalist consumer hellscape, you might mean something else. Yeah. But so mm-hmm. a good visual example of a false dichotomy is a pair of sneakers and a pair of stilettos, mm. right? You can have both. You know, yeah. The other one was like a loaf of wonder bread and a glass of water <laughs> a little more like is that wait what yeah you know. um interesting yeah but so I love the idea of like you know when you say something I don't even know if this relates to false dichotomy you should definitely get me back on track but um, <laughs> the, like the thing is like he's a very rich man but he's very generous as opposed to he's a very rich man and he's very generous yeah. Huge difference. You're pl- yeah. but in the first one, you're you're actually placing a judgment on his wealth. You're saying despite that, he has this good quality. Whereas with the and it's just like a portrait of like, wow, what a great guy. Anyway, please conduct it's it's, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny because I'm also I'm an English teacher. Oh and so I, this I, I should that you're a teacher, but I didn't know you're an English teacher. Oh, this is hilarious. Yeah. Okay, I must have felt that. Yeah, so I should definitely make my kids listen. 
this, I just think I'm so embarrassed now that I'm like, do you know what a false dichotomy is? No, like, and it's fine because I do. Like, I could, I could have, I could define it for you, but yeah, I'm, I'd be bad at coming up with like those examples, even though I do think really, they work. Really fun because it also exposes. It's just a good mental exercise because I think it exposes the way, kind of similar to what you're asking, but like, like the political climate or whatever. Like, to me, it exposes the way that we compartmentalize things that is completely sometimes arbitrary and like automatic and not and unconscious and not thought through. Um, the ideas that you could, there's more and and less or and less but. Right. I'm so excited that you're an English teacher. This just got way better. I was already having a great time, but my parents, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm, I'm comfortable. <laughs> yeah, your dad uh, was a poet, right? Yeah, and a French teacher. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I and guess that kind of makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, sort of. Yeah, he, and um, is a painter, and she also taught uh, throughout her life. And they, you know, it's, you, well, you know, I'm sure you're one of the good ones. Um, <laughs> I like to think so. <laughs> yeah. It's the same. If you're taking the time to have these in-depth conversations, I think that's a good sign. Um, but uh, cool. Yeah, please. As you were, I didn't mean to digress. <laughs> oh, no, I, the, I'm all for digression. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, I have notes and they are mere, they're basically suggestions. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So let's, you know, before we end up going on some other track, let's, let's at least make sure that for a few minutes we do talk about Formentera. Um, so this is the new, this new album, eighth record. Yes. I think. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's the eighth metric album. It is out July 8th. Um, so you've already kind of touched upon this a little bit, but, uh, with your, with your talk about, um, doom scroller and false dichotomy and some of the songs, but what were, I'm trying to phrase this in the most like finite way, but like, what is sort of the theme or the motive behind Formentera versus, past metric albums um <clears throat> well i could set it up as a uh to me i don't know about the compare to the other albums because i'm not talking about those other albums so much but i guess for example like art of doubt is pretty self-explanatory um mm. you know the idea of like kind of going towards your weaknesses um getting into the grit things and the album was very much um sort of a corrective because uh, the previous album we'd made Pagans in Vegas um, was very electronic and lacking in guitars. Basically Jimmy just like took himself out of the record. It's like, that's what happens when you let the guitar player have too much control when he's like this amazing guitar player. It's just so classic. Like other, other people you'd be like, Oh no, the guitar player is producing the record. And it would be like, you know, roaring solos over everything. It was Jimmy Shaw, who I obviously admire so much as my partner in this whole thing. You know, he's he produces the record and he takes himself out of it. So that was problematic with Pagans in Vegas. Um, and side note on that album of hilarity and absurdity of life is I, I was like that title. I knew I could hear the cadence of it, that it was like Baba Baba, which I know sounds crazy, but I was like, I know that's how, it, that's the title of the album is something, blah, 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 blah. And I came up with Pagans in Vegas and everyone's like, I love it. It makes sense. You know, we're out of place and we're also doing this like pretty big departure because um, it's so electronic. And this was like 2017 or something. Is that right? 15, 2015, I think. Yeah, I think that's. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And then, because um, Art of Dead was 2018, that's right. But so, 
then we end up getting offered this huge tour uh, supporting Imagine Dragons of all people who are Mormons from Vegas. So we're on our, our major tour on pagans in Vegas was with Mormons from Vegas. Wow. And then we like played Vegas and we were literally, it was, I love, I love life for that. <laughs> um, so that happened. So that was that album. Art of Doubt it was like a corrective, you know, it starts with these super aggressive, super fun, like um, big guitar riffs on Dark Saturday that was, did really well at radio in Canada and elsewhere. Um, you know, this kind of like scrappy, like, don't worry, we're still, we're still gritty. Don't let the synths get you down, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of rock record. And then what's exciting about Formentera sonically, at least, is I feel like we found this equilibrium. I feel like there's so much guitar um, represented on the album. There's so many organic instruments. You've heard the whole thing, right? Yeah, I have. So, so like the orchestral components with like the Budapest Art Orchestra and like, I, at least for me, and I hope that that's the response from fans is that it's this like, it's like, we feel like, you know, in the quest to create this sound that is the thing we've been doing from the beginning is this kind of hybrid of like my synth world and Jimmy's guitars and the, how the song craft like works around that. Um, so sonically that's, that's where it lives. And then, you know, thematically, the flow of the album sequence is really important to the experience, I feel, because the first part, you know, Doom Scroller All Comes Crashing, What Feels Like Eternity, is really just as much sort of adrenaline and tension and, you know, anxiety and sort of um, dissonance, you know, cognitively and otherwise, just like the grinding along kind of feeling, then giving way to, um, you know, this like beautiful orchestra washes over you into Formentera. And then, you know, lyrically for me, that song is, I think, pretty self-explanatory. But the idea of, you know, you got to find a way to function and you have to have that capability, you know, if it's a meditation app or if it's like, you know, committing yourself to a loony bin, whatever it is, it's not sustainable to be in that state that is represented by those first songs. forever so um that's that's kind of the flow of it and then from that point on um you know you're kind of in this other kind of more celebratory place of freedom and it's really cool so far because on every album like that's whatever we make we then live and it sort of reveals itself as it enters the world and it's kind of already happening where I feel like I did, I did, you know, why not just like go and free, free my childhood dream, you know, like whatever's going to happen, we're going to roll. It's terrifying to try to be an artist and a musician right now. We have no idea what's going to happen when we get out on the road um, or how long we'll be able to keep going and all these considerations, you know, mm-hmm. every, you know, for everyone, even like the mega stars, I think are feeling that this sense of instability and unknown. Um, so. So that's, that's the kind of, that's the gist, if that, if that makes sense. I... Yeah, it does. And I, and I think I would agree with, with you, and I'm guessing all of you, that, that Formentera is um, stylistically kind of this hybrid of, especially of the last few records. Because, I mean, obviously Jimmy is, he's a great guitarist, and there's always been guitar on metric albums. So Pagans was maybe kind of a, a um, 
a shock to the system of some fans, but it does kind of feel like Formentera is this like, okay, well, here is the sort of glistening synthetic, you know, kind of throwback vibes from some metric albums. Here's the really gritty guitar rock from other metric albums. And we're just gonna blend them all together and throw in some strings as well. It does kind of feel like this nice sort of culmination almost. Oh, great. I'm so glad that was the way it reads to you. That's awesome. Phew. And you mentioned you mentioned the strings on the title track. They're so pretty. Oh my god. Um who 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 arranged those? Well, so this is so classic. Like <laughs> you have all these songs, we're listening, we're we're trying to figure out like what's gonna be on this album. Formentera had been sort of not backburnered, but it wasn't front. It wasn't clear. And then there was this crazy moment where like everybody separately, including the artwork mind meld guy, everyone was like simultaneously like, that's the song and that's the name of the album. And that's the heart of the record. And when we were like, whoa, okay, obviously this is true. Because we do, we work by like consensus in this really cool way where it isn't like, it isn't like, let's make sure everyone's opinion is heard. And that's what we consider consensus. It's more like there's this like amorphous right thing to do. And it's, we all just kind of like hover around it and try to like poke at it and find out what it is. And then when we find it, we're all like, yes, that's it. You know, like, but there's no Mm -hmm. head, uh, you know, there's no leader being like, this is how it has to be or, you know, making, making the rules. Um, but so classic Jimmy, like that song, and he's like, that's it. And what it needs is, uh, it needs an orchestration going. He basically heard the whole thing in his head of like, it needs an orchestration going in. It needs to be in those sections and it needs to connect with enemies of the ocean. We're going to create this whole experience in the middle of the record. We call up Todor Kobakov, uh, my Bulgarian composer friend who worked with me on, um, Knives Don't Have Your Back. And we've worked on lots of stuff together. Um, he, when I did some stuff with Lou Reed in, Australia he came and did all the strings he's he's um actually he played piano when Lou and I performed Perfect Day together in Sydney um mm. amazing human and brilliant artist so class- what a memory too yeah oh god best no there's no data points for that <laughs> um you know like high points like come on there's no there's no way to quantify that um, but yeah, so Jimmy just calls him and Toto's like, of course, um, listens to the song, writes the thing. I don't even think, oh yeah, I think he sent us a mock-up. That's right. And then we were like, it's 100% perfect. Exactly the way you did it. Like not a single change. And then he arranged to have the Budapest art orchestra who actually had lunch with Howard Shore recently, who we worked with on the Twilight movie and also on the Cronenberg movie. And I mentioned the Buda, I told him we were doing this thing. I mentioned the Budapest art orchestra, art, art orchestra. And he was like, oh yeah, I've totally worked with them, which is cool. Um, so, and then by like live cast or whatever, Todor is communicating with the conductor. And we, you know, it's so like finite the amount of time. It's so precise. And we just sat there, we could see them all. And then the man says, Formentera, in some beautiful sounding exotic accent for a bunch of people who've been stuck in a room for two years, you know, uh, felt like we were traveling. And so that's how that all got recorded. And we have, um, we have all the, the audio and we have the, the video as well of that, uh, of that experience. So yeah, Todor Kobakov. Big shout out. <laughs> big, big shout out, totally. 
another nice sort of uh, so maybe slightly surprising and pretty pretty moment is on Doom Scroller, which is you know many things, and we can talk about Doom Scroller now at length. Um, it is the first song. It is also the longest metric song, um, I believe, at over ten minutes long, um, and it features a nice moment for me as a longtime fan of yours and of metrics. Of you. basically, there's a passage of just you and piano, and I. <laughs> I can't like I can't remember the last time that was on a metric album. Yeah, it's true. It's almost um it was it important was it important for you to include that in this in this metric setting? I guess it only in like in retrospect it's like yeah, I guess that I think that was a good idea. Um <laughs> but, but it wasn't something that we were like trying to it wasn't a conscious thing. It just seemed like the right thing. And mm-hmm. I know it's almost like we dip into like my solo stuff in a way which is which is kind of cool like maybe and part of perhaps your impression of this being kind of like pulling together everything into one place is like you know that's a big part of how I I mean that's how I write at the piano and those records they're not widely known um but we will we will talk about your solo records (laughs) no but I I love that they're not because it's I mean whatever it's it's awesome it's people find them it's private it's personal it's exactly as it should be so but that's true it it does kind of like it seems very natural to me that I don't think any metric fan would be like what like Haynes singing at the piano like they they're familiar with that side of me they just usually don't get it on a metric record so yeah so how did doom scroller end up becoming this kind of epic behemoth (laughs) multi-phase thing um well, Jimmy and Liam had written, they, these, the guys are like, I don't know how much, you know, but like modular synthesis, these, these guys are lunatics, right? Like they know how <laughs> to operate this machinery. Like you, sometimes it looks like it's like a pilot's cockpit, you know, it's like what, and I studied electroacoustics. So I have like foundational knowledge of analog synthesis, but you know, it looks like the switchboard in like a world war two, like telegram movie, like patching phone calls like it's a wall of wall size synths more than one that they're patching different sounds they're like oh yeah I want something that sounds like this and it's you're basically just manipulating raw sonic tone like pure mm-hmm. tone sine wave sawtooth wave square wave and you're and you take that you're taking those raw tones and then you're manipulating them through all of these oscillators and uh, other you know electrical pulses is the foundational way to describe this without having a whole separate conversation. So these guys just, they just do that. They get in there, they make stuff, they make these sounds, like everything you hear at the beginning of Doom Scroller, you know, obviously we have, there's the beat as a component and we work with drum machines and live drum uh, hybrids a lot. Jules is, you know, all over, he's playing on every single song, obviously, but um, they create, they just create these sounds. So. I'm used to hearing them do that and loving it. But this was the first time that I got to be like, can I do something with that stuff? Um, Cause we had some time to play around. And so Jimmy and Liam played me that among other things that ended up being on the record that I had an immediate response to. Um, and the next morning, like I'd listened to it the day before and I was like, okay, we'll start the session the next day. And the next morning, I mean, I sometimes find these things a bit, trite when writers are like I hate when people are like it just came to me in like a beam it's like I don't know 
Um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a beam, but it was pretty cool. Like I, I just put it on and I was like, oh, I hear the entire thing. And I wrote the entire thing. And then I texted them because they were on the way over. And I was like, I need you to just set up the mic and don't say anything. And I just need to just get this down. And that's what I did. And then that's the vocal that's on the record. Oh, wow. Which is just super weird. Yeah. Um, you know, we fully redid it. Like we always, because we're perfectionists or whatever, we like, we always test to see if we can beat it. Um, so we did a full full pass and found that the original had that. So that was, that was the beginning. And then as for how it progressed, I felt really strongly like it needed to end with this, in this place with piano. Um, and I thought it would just be sort of like a coda. And then I wrote, and then I wrote this thing and I was like, just walking around a lot, like in the woods at that time, because there's nowhere to go. And I was working on this thing and I, I, I came in, I played it and Jimmy was like, that's more than a coda. That's a whole piece. And that then inspired him with that car ending. Hmm. Um, so it just sort of was this like cumulative, it was like, this, like what we were trying to express wasn't said yet, you know, like, and then once we had that feeling like all the feelings we were trying to convey and the ride wasn't over until that ending where you get this, you know, sort of quant like qualified euphoria, like Pirellis, we're really happy. He wrote about Doom Scroller in the Times and he's like my favorite writer. And he said, you know, it's the euphoria at the end, you know, roughly he's like, it's, it's, it's sort of tainted by the fact that you still hear the little blips, you know, at the same mm. time we made it out like the humans prevailed or whatever if it was like an alien invasion movie or something you know like um I love that he got that that it's like in one of those movies where you're like we killed all the aliens but then the last shot is like there's a little one growing in the corner or something you know like (laughs) (laughs) so I feel like sonically that was totally what we were trying to convey and he fully got it so um and then we felt like okay now those this is the proper expression of what the feeling of, of, of doom scroller is meant to, meant to convey. Hmm. That's so interesting. What a weird and organic evolution it made on its way to this 10 minute long song. Yeah, totally. It was, it was the opposite of conceptual, which is, yeah. you know, kind of a little bit like we we're talking about at the beginning of the conversation of just like the, like how things are quote unquote, like big, broad statements that I, I'm just a bit allergic to right now because I feel like I kind of dialed into this frequency where it's, it is more like that. It's just like, you just keep going until something seems right. And then you start something else and keep going. Like, you don't need to like stand above it all and like, you know, like contrive and control, you know, it's more like um, it's a lower center of gravity. And I've, I feel really pleased with the work that we've done from that mm. place. Hi, babe. All right. My boyfriend just got oh. home. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to tell him he doesn't have to worry. Hi. We're still on it, but <laughs> enjoy your lunch. <sighs> I'm back. Okay. <laughs> so 
All right. I'm going to go back in time a bit, if that's okay with you. Sure. Um, so I'm going to, at the, at, the, at the risk of maybe slightly embarrassing myself and maybe you. Uh, I'm just diving into this other room here. One second. Okay. I'll give you a minute to prolong the pain of embarrassing yeah, right. yourself and maybe me. <laughs> it is, the idea of someone trying to eat lunch like silently is just too much. Yeah, it's very, it's very Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, totally. Like this, the silent movie Zoom existence. Um, audio still good for you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Check, check. All good. Okay. Cool. Please pr- so, proceed with the embarrassment. No, I mean, it's not that embarrassing, but okay. So, <laughs> I just, you know, I'm going to out myself a little bit as a very pretty diehard metric fan in the sense that when I very first started listening to music in middle school, which was at this point, not to make, I mean, not to make you feel old, because I don't think you're like woefully older than me at this point. It's going to make you feel old, though, because it's in middle school. I don't know. Try me. I think I don't. So it takes this... a lot to make me feel old. I feel amazing. <laughs> so you don't worry. That's, uh, that's, and that's incredible. <laughs> um, no, so let's see. I'm trying to do quick math in my head. So middle school was probably like 15 to eight. No, that sounds wrong. Like 18, 17 years ago. I don't know. It was a long ass time ago. Mm. And I was very first starting to get into music. And one way or another, I found Old World Underground. Um, it was, you know, the internet was alive. It was a thing. MySpace was a thing, but like it wasn't anywhere near what it is now. So I don't know. I truly to this day don't know how I found anything, um, but I did. And so that started this sort of long journey. You know, I was a kid of the LimeWire generation. So I was able to kind of uncover all these things when I started getting into you guys. So I, of course, when uh, Grow Up and Blow Away officially came out, in 2007, uh, I was one of those really annoying um, eighth or ninth graders who was like, well, I've had that in my iTunes for like three years. <laughs> <laughs> because as some people, I mean, they probably know now, but as some people didn't know, that was almost like a, like a lost debut for you guys. Because Correct. it sort of, or maybe it didn't even ever really come out, but it was it was supposed to come out in 2001 and then I guess you guys had like record label issues with different record labels kind of bleeding into another one. And then it kind of got shelved for a while. And so a lot of people, I think for a long time thought Old World Underground was your debut. Um, But I'm curious then, because that is the debut record. That is the true metric debut record, Grow Up and Blow Away. But am I wrong in saying it was just you and Jimmy at that time? Okay, so first of all- I have a lot of questions. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's great. No embarrassments. Don't worry about making me feel old. It's literally impossible. Um, And I love that you're like, one, somehow I found it, which I know is true in general of like broadly now that we live the way that we live where it's like, how did I know there was a concert? Like, how did the Rolling, how did Led Zeppelin like go on tour? Like there is an element of like, how did anything ever work any other way? But I do think metric is unique in exactly that. And I love it when people tell me that because it's so part of our ethos and the meaning of our band is people find us and it's all over the world. Like in this case, okay, North America, it's not such a stretch, even though it is a bit of a needle in a haystack, even, even still. But the best thing is like people find, you know, they, I don't know why, how they find us. It's not like 
you know, a Michael Jackson record comes out and people are like, I don't know how I found it. Like big major label artists, you know how you found it. It was like shoved down your throat and it was what was for (laughs) sale. But in our case, people all over the world are like, I found you. And we're like, yay, we found you. Like, this is so great. You know, Um, you're correct on Grow Up and Blow Away was intended to be the first album. Absolute hell um, label stuff, which definitely informed the um, attitude and approach that, thank goodness, we took because it's paid off beyond belief um, in terms of our insistence on owning our own music, never making demos for anyone ever again, um, (laughs) and just flipping the whole, you know, to me, it's like, and we can certainly have a whole other conversation about this, but um, in that time, at least, and I still think to a great degree now, the whole, it's like a, it's a systemic problem with the way that record contracts are, are drafted, used, meant to be, it's, it's like they're, you're, you're built to fail. Um, and then have like the occasional exception to the rule. Who's like a super, super, superstar that makes everyone feel crappy because they're not that, but they also don't own anything. Um, mm-hmm. so so due to our experiences uh, in the UK and with labels in the US, um, where we did sign with, with, with a label um, for Grow Up and Blow Away, which was years in the making, which was me and Jimmy, very much as you're asking, like, um, like homemade recordings in our place in New York and in, our, and in London. And, um, you know, we did work with producers uh, on a few things, maybe we worked with uh some like there were professionals involved but it was like mostly jimmy and i doing our thing mm-hmm. um <clears throat> then we signed with restless and which was a label out of the u.s which was like so funny it was either going to be virgin or restless and we went with this like <laughs> adam's family like it was so it was hilarious i mean now it's hilarious because we made the right decisions but then he was like we were doing all the stuff it was the classic thing where he's got control of everything you know, and of like, you know, creative uh, photos, approving everything, judging everything, saying like Canada's bland, like insulting stuff like that. And then being like, you know what? I'm not feeling it. We're not putting this out. Oh, wow. So then it's like, okay, well, that's like years of my life. It's all, it's all the music that we have and it's just not coming out. So what are we going to do? So that's when we started. Um, I'm glad you reminded me of this because I kind of forgot about this piece. Like that's <laughs> when we started our own private iTunes before iTunes, which was oh. where, which is why you would have found it on LimeWire is we yeah. were like, you know, we would, we would, anyone we met were like, Hey, want to hear our music? Like CDR days. And we would, you could email us and we would make a CDR for you of the songs that you wanted to hear. And I would mail them from my publisher's office, which was a good fuck you. Um, mm-hmm. even, though, even though I kind of liked our publisher, but whatever. It was still like a good, like, fuck the system, you know? Yeah. Um, and then so people found it that way. And But that experience, basically what we had to do is say, those songs are dead to us. That is not our first album. We're going to put this band together. We're starting something new with this band. This is going to be metric. And we're never, we're going to like, earn our way we're going to work our way up like one person at a time and that's what we did so by the time we made it through 
many trials to a residency at the Silver Lake Lounge in Silver Lake in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Andrews was at a concert, the producer who did Donnie Darko. He's done so much, so many great films um, since yeah, then. I, I love Do you know that. his stuff? I love yeah, Mike's he, the best. He did the, he did the score for uh, Me and You and Everybody Know. Yeah, and he also did, I, I think he did Bridesmaids. Did he really? I unless I was on a plane and I, <laughs> I it's surprised. I thought I don't know. Double check me on that one. But anyway, I he's be done, yeah, he's done loads of great stuff, and he's just such a great guy. So he saw what we were doing, what you know, more than we could see what we were doing, and helped us shape it into what I one hundred percent consider our debut album. Like mm-hmm. Old World Underground is like the beginning, right. um, including that first line being the first that's like the beginning of the story of metric old world underground where are you now like look we're looking for it and if we have to make it ourselves then we will you yeah. know um and then we were fortunate enough to have um chris taylor who was another champion who like helped us along the way and started last gang records and you know we ended up parting ways with him but friendship remains he managed to buy grow up and blow away from that guy at restless oh wow because he was like and i remember i went into the guy's office and i was like you know it's not like real estate right like you have my intellectual property i can't go forward with my life like can you and he was like whatever but i think it made an impression because or who knows but in any event (laughs) for whatever reason um chris taylor bought it and put it out and that's why it shows up does it come out? Was it before Live It Out? It's between, is it second? I don't I, even know. I don't remember. I think it was 07, which would have been right oh, around I think the it's same after. time. Isn't it after Live It Out? I it might have been, it might have been like the year after. Yeah, it's in that window. Cause I remember I have a, a memory of walking through the park with Jimmy and being like, wait, what? Like I I actually felt really weird about it coming out. Yeah. Cause I was like, we've now established this. We've been on these big tours. We're like, ha- we're doing this whole thing. We're us now. And now it's like this, like, it felt a bit like releasing like a B sides mm-hmm. or something, which, which now in retrospect, I think is really cool that it's there. And the artwork, I remember like purposely making it super, you know, like handmade. It's like both of our handwriting. It's like mm-hmm. a sort of document of that time. Um, but it, yeah, I'm actually happy with how it all played out. Cause I, I, I feel like, it gave us a chance to actually solidify our sound. And I think old world, like Michael helped us just be so, it's so weird. Like that we did that like <laughs> wave kind of it's cool. He, I feel yeah, like that's he, the thing. That's uh, the thing about old world underground too, because like, you know, art of Dow and, and, and now this new one, like they're very, they're very metric, but like there is something about older underground that is like, it's such a weird album. I know. I can't in all believe- the best ways. <laughs> I know. Like, I just feel like we're so, so creative, right? And actually laying the foundation as the beginning of everything that we would do. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. there are pieces on that record of every aspect of who we are. Like, even like Love is a Place. Yeah. You know, we we play that, like, I think on the last, like, we did like an arena tour of Canada um, on Synthetica or something. And we would always do a song where... Jimmy and I would go to the front. It's just the spotlight and it's like the lighters or whatever. It's so fun. Um, but we would do, uh, sometimes we do give me sympathy acoustic like that, or just, he might, it's just him and me, me and him and guitar basically. But, um, we did love as a place. It was so cool. It was like, that's been there from the beginning, you know? Yeah. 
Um, whereas grow up and blow away, it's just, it's, it is kind of like an insight into the origins of our like incredibly deep connection, you know? Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned sort of leaving kind of like saying, okay, well, we're, because this all happened, we're going to leave that behind and we're just going to, you know, truck along and make this new record with these new friends we have in our band. And this will be the start because you have grew up in blow away, but you did, you guys even put out a couple EPs because, you know, also being a child of LimeWire, I also found like the mainstream EP and the oh, static good. anonymity EP. And like, so in a sidebar, do if you, you ever, have, if, do you have that on CD by the way? Um, the mainstream I EP? I don't think I do. I probably just have Damn. the files for it. Can you, oh, well, actually we kind of need them. If you could, <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. I don't even know. I'm not sure what happened with it, but uh, David from our team was like, um, hey, do we have the files for the people? Because- Love that song. I love that song too. And I feel like the production is so good. Like, how did we do it that? Like, good. Jimmy, Jimmy had no gear. It's almost like- Yeah, I do. I do have it. I just, you I just do? looked it up. Yeah. I don't have the CD, but I could send you the files. You know what? I really appreciate that, Jeremy. Thank you. Um, we can coordinate <laughs> afterwards. Because uh, um, I just yeah, because be so great if it saw the light of day. Yeah. That song is great. If you ever see some weirdo commenting on your Instagram post about playing the battle cry at a show, that's me. <laughs> um, I know, I'm mostly joking because like I know that, you know, it's not going to happen. Like, like that song. I don't even know how you'd play that song. Um but I do like that song. And I like that EP. And the static and the static anonymity EP too. I mean, some of those songs wound up on Grow Up and Blow Away. And so I feel like there is sort of like there's that phase. And then it didn't quite work out how you wished it would have, but then it was actually maybe for the best because then you you got to like a, get a clean slate with Old World Underground. It's true. And it is and now in retrospect, it is like those those pieces are actually underground. Like they didn't yeah. them not finding their way is how they're special to the people that care. Like they, mm -hmm. they sort of, they, they stayed free, you know, it's like being born and not having to get a passport or something. Right. Um, they're just like, they're just with us. And then yeah. the, the official like start is like when we kind of emerge from the subterranean lime mm. wire with, uh, <laughs> yeah. I love that you're, I mean, if anything, I feel like you're, it's a bit of a confession booth right now with you about LimeWire. Oh, anything, sure. anything else um, you want to share? <laughs> I would, I, yeah, I was actually going to continue this conversation, this exact line of conversation by going even deeper into the past. Okay. Um, with, well, actually, okay. So I'll, I'll preface this by saying I would be remiss um, getting a chance to talk with you about music and not setting aside a few minutes to talk about your solo work, which you mentioned earlier. Um, because similar, I mean, I was a metric fan when Knives came out. Um, so I very distinctly have a memory. I, it must've been MySpace. I guess I don't have a memory of where it was, but it must've been MySpace when the first single came out and there was like that promo picture of you that was kind of pink and like gauzy looking. And uh -huh. I remember being like, whoa, like, what is this? Like, I didn't know that you did that because up to that point, I only knew metric. Um, and so that sort of changed my life. And I love, I love that record. That's one of my favorite records. Um, oh, amazing. And, you know, for a long time, me and a lot of people thought it'd be the only one. So I'm really happy that choir of the mind came out. <laughs> um, but so to go further into the past, after I discovered 
Knives Don't Have Your Back after that came out. I, you know, like many other metric fan before me, discovered you actually had an older solo album, um, which is super, super, super long time ago, uh, called Cut in Half and Also Double, which is another byproduct of my LimeWire days. So it's part um, of our subterranean catalog because that's it's yeah. interesting because I see that the same way where I'm like I think of that as like it's like my own like I am my own little sister or something you know like <laughs> I, I have such affection for like what I'm trying to do I'm trying to find myself I'm trying to figure out mm-hmm. which vowels to use you know it's like very like uh, I hear I hear myself trying to figure out who I am which you continue to do but some things do firm up with time and it's definitely yeah. like very unknown at that time and like you know like guy producers and it was like the Alanis Morissette moment and I, which was not I never was really that into that and but that's kind of what everyone was chasing yeah. um this kind of like Radiohead or I don't know it was just like a funny funny moment um but that also I mean I just burned see I just literally like waitressed and paid to make those cds like that was never released so i kind of love that that to me lives in the world of the um like the mainstream ep and those other illegitimate children (laughs) (laughs) i know and i do you know i do i have that too and i feel like almost weird for having that because i know that there was like i've seen like conflicting reports where like you've kind of said like maybe don't you know share share that or like put yeah. that out in the world but I and I hey confession booth I've never uploaded the LimeWire I've only downloaded from LimeWire. Cool. um but I have it and I still listen to it from time to time I think it holds up I kind of like it too I think like because... it has a very specific energy to it I know it's I almost feel like it was it was like that feeling when you're that age like I would have been I think I was like 20. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah. And you know that feeling when you're like a kid and you're just like, all I know is it's not, it sucks. Like it's a little bit of that, (laughs) you know, of like, I'm going to do this and that's all I know. And I was already scrappy AF, um, which I think is great. And like, yeah, the little sister feeling of, and also wanting to be weird, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, I really loved about the, the, the way Michael Andrews helped us, you know, they're like, it's really competitive. Right. And like a lot of lots at stake when you're trying to make your first record and starting out and like trying to figure out your identity. And like, you know, I was adamant on old world underground, which I laugh so hard about this now. Like I was like, no reverb. And if you listen, mm-hmm. it's like, there's literally like, I was like, no effects. Like there might be like, I might've approved like one delay throw or, you know, but it was like absolutely nothing. Like unvarnished. I never thought about it, but I guess that's true. I mean, it's especially dr- like your, oh, yeah. your voice is so dry. I've never it's even thought about dry. that. It's like, literally, I'd be like, what did you just do? Like I was completely <laughs> obsessive about it. And he was like, dope, like yeah. fully. And so then you have this like really, I'm so glad I felt so strongly. Like this is my statement. This isn't like a, trip hop record with a bunch of like druggy la la la's you know this isn't Mm -hmm. this isn't torture me (laughs) oh my god I was gonna ask you know where did that song go (laughs) oh what do you mean where did it go where did it come from where did it go where is it going now I don't know wait was it not (laughs) is it not on grow up and blow away no that was actually no it's not it's on it but it's not on the official one 
Really? Do you, know, uh, do you forget this? Oh, you know, deeply. Parkdale is also missing. Yeah. Okay. Because that was also <laughs> like it's so funny because Parkdale was like really gritty then, and we did have like this super cute like again that when you're that age you're like. 20 early 20s Jimmy and I had just met we're like we're gonna go to New York we're gonna do all these things <laughs> and which we fully did which is so fun for us yeah. to look at each other and be like cool man like this is fun and it's still going and such a good vibe but Parkdale now it's just it's just different it just became like really trite you know I'm like yeah. look up at the top of the buildings man like <laughs> do you even see it you know it's just like okay like mm. So, and I, I don't but know, torture I was sort of like rapping or something. Um, yeah, you were a little bit, that's true. A little bit. It was so loud. It was the 90s. It was, it was yeah, I was going to say it was the 90s. <laughs> and, you know, I talk, I have talked some my entire life. So mm-hmm. I think that should give me extra kudos. Like when I went to, when I auditioned to get into um, the high school that I went to, which was like so amazing, game changing, met all my friends, started my life. Um, when I auditioned. I got in, but the teacher was like, you know, you don't really sing. You actually more talk. And it was supposed to be a criticism. And I was like, yay. Like, thank you yeah, for recognizing like, cool. that. <laughs> Lou Reed is my favorite singer, you know? Right. Or like the David Berman, um, all my favorite singers couldn't sing. Mm. Love that line. But yeah. Um, so yeah, Parkdale. And then, but Torture Me is cool. Hit me with the wig I flaunted. Come on. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> That album, you know, we say old world is weird. That album's fucking weird. It's so weird. And we didn't really and, know that we were weird. That's right. And I think that's what in retrospect, especially when you see things like now, I think increasingly it'll be, you know, one of the side effects of our like addiction to data and like chasing the algorithm and like is the whole thing of like, you know, leaning into like, oh, people like that. So do more of that. Um right is I think by definition, I mean, one of the outcomes will be that I think we'll see things a little more like tailored in a way, as opposed to the sense of like, I don't know what this is, but if someone likes it, then I can go with it. You know, like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Hal Wilner, who the late Hal Wilner, who was such a key piece in the musical world while we had him on this planet early lost to COVID. He, Mm -hmm. um, he, there are all these great interviews with him about New York being like, what is happening? Like, you guys, I feel so bad for you. Like, no one's weird. <laughs> um, so, which is, again, one of those, like, blanket things. But from his view, you know, he's used to a level of weird that I think, I think things are pretty weird. Actually. Oh, things are weird. I just don't things know if it's the, kind of the good weird. Not the good, exactly, exactly. Like, yeah, but it is funny that we didn't, you know, to us, we're like, what? Like, this is totally normal. It's like, <laughs> you guys are not not right (laughs) (laughs) all right so i know we only have a few more minutes together so i am moving on to my emily haynes lightning round oh good here we go um fired up you fired up okay so first question what the hell is a sardine nightclub well you're packed together fair enough that's a good answer the origins of that was, (laughs) was a short story that i wrote with the with the character of hustle rose being mm. at the nightclub one of the best metric songs by the way thank you <laughs> hello weirdo <laughs> so second question what is a metric song or two that you kind of like wish you guys could work into a set list but it just never quite works out 
fortunes. Hmm. I'm so sorry to fortunes. No one feels it like I do, but fortunes had such a, <laughs> it's like a kid that like is malnourished. <laughs> it just never happened. There's like a vitamin deficiency. Oh, no. um, fortunes. Have you, and, you, have you ever played it live? I think to maybe like in like, you know, Munich or something. I, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, <laughs> I know. See, aw, poor fortunes. <laughs> Um, but and I would like to to get something from Grow Up and Blow Away in the set. Um, we talk about it. It's just uh, maybe we'll try again. Uh, we'll try again. We we have our I, big production rehearsals coming up. So what what song would it be from Grow Up and Blow Away? Oh geez, if if I was picking, I would be very torn between On the Sly and maybe Hardwire. Yeah, I think On the Sly would be. It would fit like, in. I could think. adapt, yeah, because it's and it could just—it's kind of like, well, in uh, in our minds, like sort of New Order-ish, which of mm-hmm. course means it doesn't really sound like New Order, but in our <laughs> minds, it does. Um, yeah, I do think I saw you. I've seen you guys once. I think it was on the. Um, it might have been the the art of no. I think it, I don't think it was the art of doubt tour. I think it was right before that. But I I feel like I do remember you singing like a minute of raw sugar acapella. Oh yeah. Like I think that was around when you started doing that a few times. Yes. So raw, raw sugar, it's, you know, it's a little folky for Formentera, but maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe an encore type scenario. I don't know. Yeah, I'm more into like hardwire. I mean, mm-hmm. that the, it's weird lyrically hardwire is so like mapping out what we would end up doing um, yeah, musically. Like weird too. Yeah, like the the like weird dancey sections in that are kind of like the weird dancey sections in Doom Scroller to me. Like it's, I hear yeah, a no. connection. Yeah. Um, well, that'll be fun to look out for. <laughs> okay, I'll try. No promises. <laughs> um, okay. Do you think we'll have to wait another 10 years for an Emily record? Um, I have no idea. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> But I'm, there's no, um, like, I don't have like a policy about it. It's literally like, sure. if there's material and it's good and it's cohesive and I'm, it's worthy of people's time that I, I'm not yeah. going to just do it because to fill a gap. So of course it'll depend on my, I was, output. I was happy to, uh, to catch you on the choir of the mind tour, that short tour you did, um, in Boston. That was very nice. You were like in a museum. It was really Yeah, nice. that was a cool venue. I loved it. Yeah, I had never there. I had never been there. And there was like the glass behind the glass. you in the bay. Yeah. yeah. It was really neat. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm glad you were there. It's awesome. Okay. What is your favorite broken social scene song that you sing lead on? Because there are a few. Well, it's really, I mean, obviously it's anthems. The I would three as much. the three that I'm that I wrote are anthems, sentimental exes, and protest song. Mm. Um, oh, so you didn't, you didn't write swimmers? Oh, and swimmers. That's right. Okay. Jeez, this is great. Are you, are you uh, up for an archivist gig? Uh, um, yes, we I might, am. Yeah, because we, we're, uh, we're Because there's also, need I, rem- need I remind you, there's also backyards as well. Oh, thanks. That's true. You know what? I should really update my uh, publishing <laughs> partners. Um, that's right. Oh, that, that's good. That's like a cute little EP. We should make like a social scene EP of just my songs. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because I, I, I think I have this memory of a review of, um what's the one with Sentimental X's? Is it Forgiveness Rock Record? Yeah. I, I think there was a review of that that was like, oh, you know, and the uh, the once an album Emily Haynes song. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is one. <laughs> yeah. 
that's true but anthems anthems really did withstand time i mean it's still like this sort of like gold standard of like indie rock music it, i i don't know who would have seen that coming exactly it's such an odd song to get that status because it's such a like slow ballad and there's like a it's obviously it's very repetitive and it mm-hmm. somehow it's like I don't know it's like this gold standard thing well it's funny too because it set the course of my how I would be perceived was like set mm-hmm. in action by that because the like what was at that point like the bros of pitchfork they oh, were like yeah they were I wasn't like, gonna bring oh, them up by name but oh yes they didn't oh, they laid into you around that oh time. my god it's like I'm so sorry that like the cartoon character, like porn star of your dreams, like in anthems turned out to be like a red blooded, like scrappy rock musician. But that was what right. I was doing. We metric precedes broken social scene. It was like my side thing with my friends to hang out and have a beer and do some stuff. Like metric yeah. was always the main thing, but yeah, they were like, you're not allowed. <laughs> like, um, but they all don't have their jobs anymore. So it's fine. That is true. That is true. They're gone. I'm still here, (laughs) but it was kind of a bummer. It was like, thanks bros. Like, yeah, especially because, you know, you're coming off anthems, which did so well. And then you go back to your main gig and they're like, what the fuck are you? Yeah. They're like, who are you? Do more anthems. (laughs) Who are you? You know, what made me think of was that Sinead O'Connor. I was always a huge Sinead O'Connor fan as a young woman. She's just like such a, incredible talent like mm-hmm. Troy you know it's really intense oh, yeah. music that she did her identity was super clear and then she did that Prince cover nothing compares yep. to you and pe- same thing people are like oh cute like manageable palatable like whispery thing mm-hmm. and then everyone's surprised when she rips up a picture of the Pope I'm like that's the most on-brand yeah. thing for her to do but you for have sure. this like you know very superficial and shallow version of her anyway Continue with no, your it's lightning. True. It's true. It's true. It's true. Um, I do need to ask real quick, what was it like working on the film Clean? You know what? That came up last night. I bumped into a photographer friend and he was like, I saw oh, really? that again and it was really good. That it was is really, really good. Yeah. That was a cool, like proper, just like actual break. Like no yeah. one like, m- you know, moved any mountains for us, but there is an actor in Toronto who, um, I feel really bad. I'm forgetting his name, ah, but uh, great guy who was in the film and he was, they needed a band who suggested us. We had just made old world and dead disco was like our signature, like, mm-hmm. you know, song for the little clubs we were playing at the time, including our like 35 minute, like George W. Bush <laughs> rant <laughs> versions of that. Um, before everyone started showing up with cell phones filming. And I was like, right, I think right. I'm going to stop doing that. <laughs> um, but so uh, yeah, they, they asked us to do it. Um, we filmed it in Toronto, you know, we've lines and stuff, um, play, played the song. And then for this really amazing moment at the beginning of everything with old world, we were kind of like famous in, in France yeah. for a minute because of that movie. And it was so, so fun. We got to meet Sonic Youth who we admire hugely, obviously, and like played festivals with them. Cause they worked with, um, Olivier Sayas as well. And mm-hmm. just like cool parties, like <laughs> getting, getting invited to like, just like, but genuinely like interesting artists and people yeah. who were like we were it was like we were blondie or something for like yeah. a minute it was fun did you ever did you ever get to meet maggie chung i did but only peripherally like it yeah it wasn't we didn't have a chance to like really connect but she's such a great great artist and then um we actually stayed in touch with olivier says and this other olivier that works on the film which would we could do a whole other topic on that whole other, <laughs> whole other episode yeah well, I'm just going to say, I hope Maggie Chung is living her best life 
in her non-acting, you know, retirement. Good Is for that what her. she did? Did she step out? Oh yeah, she stepped back like over a decade ago. You know what that is? That's called formatera, man. That's what that is. Yeah, right. You're like, did why you, not just let go? Did you maybe? I don't know if you know this, but did you know that she like had a very brief role filmed and everything in Inglorious Bastards, the Tarantino film, and then no. they cut it out. Why? They cut. I don't know. It's on the cutting room. Someone has footage of Maggie Chung in a, in a Tarantino movie, and we've never seen it. Wow. Put it on TikTok. That would, have, that would have been her last <laughs> movie, but. I know you you get you could get so famous if you just leak that footage. Just gonna That's say. right. Get out your yeah. lime wire. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need that anymore. No. Um <laughs> all right. So to wrap things up, what I'm gonna ask one more time, uh, one more question about the the new album. What do you hope that um fans, longtime and new, take from this new record? Um, I hope that it is like uh I don't know why I'm trying to find like other words to say what I'm trying to say. It needs to be useful. It needs to be mm. like, this is something you put it on and progress is made. Um, and that each of the songs, you know, like one of my favorite things is when people say that they are motivated when they listen to metric, like that is absolutely our, our small function is like motivating you forward. Um, so and I've had a couple of people say to me that they feel like it's like a place to go, which is in the, or that our music in general does that for them, which is just the greatest honor. But like in this case that we're, we're really, you know, honing in on that with the idea that we Formentera is a place in your mind. Um, and that the, that the music really does allow you, you can like go there. And, you know, the idea of like in, um, in doom scroller, like, you know, take something for the pain, not something to conceal it more like a magnification mirror, right? You're not trying to like hide what's fucked up. You're trying to expose it, give it language, like see it, face it, and then, you know, have a nice sober stroll on the beach. Um, so hopefully that happens for everyone. I hope so. We need. We definitely need we that need it. right we now. Need it. Yeah. Oh my god! Oh All my right. God. So, Formentera is out July eighth, which is very soon. I'm sure you're getting very excited as that date approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll be touring soon, so people can go see you guys play this this album out on the road. And uh, I just want to thank you very deeply for your time. It's been quite a pleasure getting to chat with you so great i'll uh i'll be in touch about the archivist yes i literally will send you anything you want (laughs) great thank you (laughs) thank you very much emily take good care take care bye